Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3. As you flip in your Bibles, I want to I really send out a charge. I tell you guys, for you guys that, that love the back row, there's no better space than this first row right here, guys. The, the leg room is amazing, okay? And so unless you're like looking to fall asleep on me, Really, I'm telling you, very little distractions. You can sing with full confidence. No one knows you sound bad. It is really good, okay? So come up here next Sunday and come sit up front with me. If your kid throws something at me, I might throw it back, but they're not going to distract me, I promise. Come up here and sit with us. We find ourselves still in Lamentations 3. We have been in this book for um, about a month now. We spent Two weeks already in this verse, and we are not going to let go of it as God has poured his grace and goodness into Eastview. We find ourselves in a normal and natural and organic revival of the flowing of the Spirit here at this church with the salvation and the baptisms we've experienced, and we're not going to let go of the gospel in Lamentations 3 quite just yet. So look at these verses. I'm going to have you flip a little today. So I plead with you to have a Bible open. Don't just listen to my words, please. This is starting with verses 52. 52. Jeremiah, who I fully believe writes this book, says this. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit, and they threw stones at me. The waters, church, flowed over my head, and I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit, and you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear. From my sighing or from my cry for help, you drew near on the day I called on you from the pit, Jeremiah says, and you told me and said, do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. Let's, Let's pray together before we jump in. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you use just a few minutes that we have been given today. Life is hard and life is fast-paced. Many of us don't have even a split second to slow down. But you have given us a group today. And you have given us people willing to slow down for the moment. And Lord, in that slowness and rest, as the word has been poured into them this morning. I pray that you remove all distractions. As David said, if someone does not know you, you save them. If someone does not know you well, you grow them. If someone is discouraged, you pour your goodness into them. If someone is faithful, you build upon it. Lord, I thank you as a leader of this church how good you've been to Eastview. And we are in revival here. We are seeing salvation and growth and children coming to know you, adults professing your name. This is revival. I thank you for that. In your precious name, the church says in harmony, amen. As I said, we still find ourselves. If you want to go ahead and 
be ready for it. Just go to Romans 6, please. It'll take us a second to get there, but when I say go, you'll be there already. We have had a wonderful time. If you're a visitor or you haven't been paying attention, God has been good to Eastview during the last few months. In the last few weeks, we have had salvation and baptism 16 years, going on 17 in ministry. And I was just telling Greg Hilliard back there a little bit ago, this is the first time in my ministry I've ever had a window where just every time we came together, it was baptism and profession of faith and members. God has blessed me as a man, a pastor, a leader in this church. This has been a fun time. Wednesday night was no shortage of that. I was even thinking to myself, if we had one time to meet, if we came together and we said, hey, listen, we're going to have to shut it down, we have one service, it would have been Wednesday night. I mean, Wednesday night, from every angle, God blessed from every avenue into his church. On Wednesday night in our Bible study, we started the book of Psalms and we had people praying together and we laughed with one another. We read the Psalms. We talked about its origin. We all spoke God's goodness of our life. We had people sharing life stories. The Bible study was amazing. We had all of our kids come together. Man, we had a back full of my little Lila, who's four, all the way to seniors in high school, gathering together, breaking bread and laughing and having a good time, living life as a church family. Man, it blessed my heart. And then we had the baptism of my neighbor, Michelle, who I love, who we've been inviting and pouring into for years. She comes with tears in her eyes accepts and professes the Lord's goodness and salvation and baptism, and we were just blessed with this overflowing of revival into this church. God has been good to us. And in this space, in this moment, we walked the aisles last Sunday pleading for your souls. You see this in the Bible. For some of you guys, that was every Sunday for you. Every Sunday, the man walked the aisles with sweat coming down his face, screaming that hell exists, and that's all you know. And you've never heard of God's love and grace and the goodness of Jesus' mercy, but you know what? Here's the thing. Hell does exist, and God is real, and there's truth to it. I don't believe you need it every Sunday, but when you look at the Bible, there's countless examples of men who walked into cities and literally banged on the doors pleading that God exists, Jesus is good, and you need a Savior. It's in the Bible. We did it last week. We read from Lamentations 3, which we just did again, and then we connected it to Acts 8. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And what a phenomenal story where the the eunuch is in the desert on the chariot, and what's he reading? He's reading Isaiah. And God says to Philip, go stop those horses and, and pour my goodness into him. So he does what God tells him to, and he looks at the eunuch, and what does he say? Brother, you have any idea what you're reading? Like the Bible's open, you got your highlighter, you're enjoying the moment, but you have any clue what it's saying? And what does the eunuch say? How could I? I love the frankness and the openness and the transparency. How could I? There was no pride. He was obviously doing better in life than Philip would. He has horses. He has a ride. 
He goes, how could I know unless someone guides me? So what does Philip do? He hops into the man's car and he preaches what? Jesus. There's like not, not nine verses of systematic theology that he unfolds and unravels with this man over nine months of coffee. He preaches Jesus. And the man is saved And he's going on his way and he says, hey, brother, there's some water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And what does Philip say? Nothing. He says, that water looks just as good as any water that we're going to see. Stop the horses and let's jump in. And as this man moved in faith, God blessed the moment. I believe we're experiencing here at this church the exact same thing. And in this revival that we experience here at Eastview, God's goodness of salvation and membership and growth and sanctification and baptism, as we taught on salvation last week, I thought as a pastor and a leader of this church that it would be appropriate to do so concerning the waters that we see all of these people jump in. Why do they do this? Can you tell me? If I asked you, why do people get baptized? Could you communicate the answer? If I could say, why is this special? Why is it commanded? Why is it of great importance? Do you think these things? I think most of you would say, yeah, I believe that it's probably worth something, Hunter. But could you communicate why? Today, I believe that in 2021, in this land and culture we call the Bible Belt, where everybody is born a Christian because of the works your grandfather did, I believe that something as beautiful as baptism is not seen in the excellence and magnitude it deserves. Baptism today and in our culture in how I live and how you grew up was way more about tradition than it was the symbolism and message and truth of the gospel that explodes through it. It's way more about what you do versus this is who I am. You hear me? Why do I get baptism? It's just what you do versus this is who I am. Am. So as tradition leads us, what ends up happening when it comes to salvation, when it comes to baptism, when it comes to membership, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, think about how you were raised, church. When tradition is the driving force within these four walls of us doing whatever it is we do, when tradition is the force, truth is often distorted And when truth is distorted, questions, frustration, lostness, and conflict arise. Does baptism save? These beautiful waters that are lukewarm, did those save? Is it essential? Does one have to be baptized? Is immersion important? Like if I looked at my son here and said, hey, buddy, we don't have time to get wet. We got lunch afterwards. I'm gonna douse you with my Dasani. Is that sufficient? 
Why? I see your head shaking. Can you communicate why? I'm not saying your denomination, but did your parents or spiritual leader in your life ever explain to you why? Could you tell your kids? Could you tell your loved ones why baptism is biblical and why we immerse? Could you explain and conversate about why it does or doesn't save? How young is too young, parent? What verse is that in the Bible? Well, my four-year-old says he loves Jesus, but I don't know what to do. Literally, if we were playing Family Feud, what does Hunter speak most about the parents behind Sunday morning? That would be number one. My child loves and professes Christ, but man, I don't know about it right now. What does the Bible say? These are all fair questions that this morning I want you to hang on every single word with your Bibles open, with your highlighter out, because we're going to unpack them. And man, when we get in those waters today, I want little Junebug to be fully understanding how special those waters are, but what those waters are and what they aren't. That we are not fueled by tradition of the act, but the truth of the message in the moment. I told you to go to Romans 6. Why in Matthew 28, the purpose of our life in the Great Commission, when all of the men are going, wait a minute, this thing is spiraling out of control, Jesus. Where are you going? What am I supposed to do? Jesus says, go out and make what? Disciples. And he gives us two ways of doing this. He says to baptize them and to teach them. So if he gives us two things to do with the rest of our life, with the purpose of making disciples, I bet one of them is pretty important. So why is baptism important? What is the message behind it? Do you know why we do this? Look at verses 1 through 4 in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. So the conversation that Paul is having in Romans in chapter 6, we have this moment where the people are like, hey, listen, you know, Jesus loves pouring his grace on me, so what about I live like heathens just so he has something to do on his spare time? And he says, absolutely not. Hear this. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were, follow me, baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into death. So in the baptism, not as Christ, but as sinful people, you and I are baptized into Christ. We are buried into death. Verse 4, highlight. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. I love, I love having conversations with people who come into Eastview from different denominations. Like I was raised Episcopalian and not like a good one, okay? And so that's like Catholic or... Methodist, we wear robes and beads and all those good things. And all of our songs are, all that good stuff, right? And so I come with no background. 
And so people will come in and they will tell me about how they were raised. And I'll go, oh man, I, I, I hear you. Tell me about it. Where did you hear this? And they will speak words and vocabulary from their denomination, not the book of the Lord. And so right now, as you are hearing me, and maybe some of your defenses are up about, man, he's speaking about something that's pretty important, and I have some strong beliefs. Give me a minute to read scripture versus debate you on what your grandmother told you, okay? So bring your defenses down and hear what Paul says in Romans concerning baptism, He says in baptism, as Christ was buried, he rose again to give you and I assurance in the gospel with what is accomplished. And he said to us, for you and I that are born again, not as Christ, but as sinners, you and I are born, are buried, dying into sin, and we rise in the image of the new life. And that is the gospel. That Christ came to this earth to shed blood for sinners, buried, rose again. That is baptism in our expression, our union with Christ. Baptism is our our symbolism of what Christ did, not only on the cross, but what he accomplished in our life as new believers. I always put this, and it's this way, it's good enough for my son who was baptized at eight, and it's good enough for the 92-year-old lady that I baptized on her deathbed. It's a great illustration. When someone does something phenomenal, it is a grand slam in the ninth inning full count to win the game, when it is a beautiful song, when someone does something that is remarkable, you and I are spectators, not the ones doing, but seeing, we stand and we what? We applaud. Baptism is our standing ovation for not what is happening, but what has happened. The water does not save. It is the expression of being saved. Do you hear me? The waters do not save. They are the expression. They are our ovation for what has been done for us. I want to keep unpacking this. I want you to see it. Just listen to the words as it's just a verse or two. Celia, go ahead and put up Galatians 3. I'm thankful for... Celia being back there on our turntables today. She's underpaid and underappreciated, but she keeps coming. So we're thankful. Look at Galatians when it comes to salvation and baptism. It says in 26, For you are all sons of God. You are saved. You are new beings through what? What's the word? Faith. You are new sons, you are saved, you are born again of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. We are saved by faith alone, our trust, our submission, our belief in God, our creator, our savior. Now, I want you just to flip just a little to Colossians, okay? I want you to see this one. If you haven't had your Bible open yet, it's not too late. Service isn't over. I want you to see the words. Colossians chapter 2. It is literally just a skip and hop away from where you were, okay? 
Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see this. This is beautiful, beautiful words for us this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Same language, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, in which you have also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and your uncircumcision of your flesh, now he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all of trespasses in your life, having wiped away out all the handwriting of requirements of was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, church, having disarmed principalities and powers. I love this. He has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. So Paul clearly says that you and I are buried with him. You and I rise with him. Faith saves. Baptism is our worship. No faith, no resurrection. And we answer one of our questions. This is why at this church, We do not believe in infant baptism because the high majority of people I have ever sat with in institutes that I have heard, what they have done is not teach by faith we are saved. They have poured in false assurance into their people that hear them and people live a lifetime believing that they are in good standings with Christ even though they do not know him based off them getting dressed up at six months old for a service they didn't even know they were at. And you go, man, hey. That's pretty bold, brother. I was sprinkled, and I say it so confidently because so was I. I have my diploma of confirmation class to make my grandmother happy. I remember my father saying, hey, I will buy you the new Jordan jersey if you go through there. And I go, tell me where to sign up. I'll remember the Lord's Prayer. I'll go to a service and you can sprinkle some water on me in a moment of my life that I can't tell the difference between Monday and Christmas. No problem. And so what we see in people who practice and teach us things is they avoid faith. It is by tradition and people live a lifetime not knowing who Jesus is or what salvation means. So Paul says, no faith. No trust, no dependence, no submission, no resurrection. That's why we don't believe that water saves. Why? Because if water were to save, then man, you would seek some of the glory in the salvation that you now have. The reason that these waters and the reason that we teach and the verses that you read, the reasons that we say water does not save, because if water does save, well then June, I am proud of you for getting in there then. What a phenomenal decision that you have made. You are so wise among your years. If just everybody else that was your age did the same, congratulations, I am proud of who? You. 
And the reason that we don't teach or believe that is because God received all of the glory. This is not a Taylor, we are proud of you. This is thank God for saving my daughter. Amen? This is why we teach immersion. You go, why? Why does it matter if it's a symbolism? You know why? Because if if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us. And I don't know about you. I don't have this book figured out. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I am smart enough to understand if Jesus did it and this is what is taught, then this is what I want to do. So why would you not want to? We want to practice and emulate what Jesus has set before us. I want you to think of it this way. During our wedding, your wedding and mine and the weddings that I do and when I walk down that aisle with my wife, there was a man that stood before Wendy and I and I was holding that ring shaken because it wasn't paid off and I was scared. Okay, It's like, you better like this. And what did he say? He said, repeat after me. With this ring, what? I thee wed. Well, here's the reality, guys. The, the ring did not marry us, right? The ring symbolizes that I am married. The vows are what marries you. It is my commitment. It is my love. It is my promise in the marriage covenant until death do us part. I will love this woman The ring is our symbolism to the world of how much I do, right? Salvation and baptism is the same. These waters show the love you have for God's salvation in your life. Hang on it. Do you have to? Do you have to be baptized? You know that whole illustration of, what if I'm baptized in my basement and I get in a car wreck to the church? Well, just bad luck, right? I love you and I created you, but man, you should have taken a left. Absolutely, that's buffoonery. We see the thief on the cross at the end of Jesus' life as he hangs by the Lord and he puts his trust and faith in Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Find a way, brother, find some water. Let me spit on you. Hopefully it works out. No, that doesn't happen at all. What does he say? You will see me today in paradise. Do you have to be saved or do you have to be baptized to be saved? Absolutely not. However, unless you were on a cross today or you have a car accident to the church, I would question your salvation if you're not. Because why would you not want to applaud such an act in your life. If someone says to me, Hunter, you don't understand my nerves. Do you know what I say to them? I don't think you understand your salvation. 
Man, I I love the man or woman who goes, hey, listen, I might pass out on you. I am going to have a panic attack, but I do not care. Why, Jeremiah? I saw my pit. I saw the darkness. The stones were coming down. I lifted my hands, and guess who picked me up? It wasn't my boss. It wasn't my hunting buddy. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't my kid. It was Jesus, and I will get in front of the world to give him the applause that the Bible says is needed and won't. Amen. That is baptism. That is baptism. I remember seeing this story and interview with two movie stars. Very, very, very famous. Been in a ton of big movies. And I remember that they were known for not just their iconic roles that they played, but they were known for being, like it was an actress, an actor. They were known for like being together in this very big relationship that everybody knew about for 27 years, but they were very outspoken about not needing to be married. Follow me? And so they would always be in interviews and they were like rebels, you know, like, hey, listen, we can have kids and live together and be faithful to one another and love one another. Like, we don't need the heaviness and, and, and you know, all these issues with wedding rings and what you guys call love. Like, we're just going to be together. It's going to be organic, right? And everybody kind of rolled their eyes at them. But to their credit, they stayed together. And all these people with rings that kept falling off and divorce and all of these things. And they were like, see, we really love one another. That's what they were known for. 27 years later, they're in like their mid-60s, okay? They did it. Proved everybody wrong. They end up splitting. And everybody was shocked and surprised. Like, man, you guys were the voices of people that didn't need those rings and walk down those aisles. You need no white dresses and repeat after me. Like, this was love. What happened? Was it adultery? Was it an affair with another woman? Like, what was the problem? They wouldn't talk about it. Five years later, the woman is 70 years, 71 years old. I, I watched this um, over the weekend. An interviewer says, I know you've never spoken about it, but I just, I'm curious Why did you guys split after 27 years, three kids? Why did you do this? She said, I've never talked about it before, but I'm 71 years old. I'll I'll give you the opportunity. She said, one day we have spent our entire life saying, we don't need these rings and we don't need that aisle and we don't need the constitutes of marriage. We have love. And at 65, she says, I looked at the man who told me that he loved and cherished me. And I just said to him, do you love me enough to put a ring on me? Like, I get it. I get that this is just metal or silver. I get that this is for people. I get it. But do you love me enough to put a ring on me? 27 years, 65 years old. And the man said, no. So for some of us here, here's the reality. It is time for you to stand up and applaud. And who cares who is in this room? And who cares about your nervousness? And who cares about your anxiety or who's here? You are in a pit of sin, a darkness of life, and it is time for you to lift your hands up and applaud the one who saves. 
When? Now. Now. As we said last week, you don't need coffee. You don't need, you don't need Bible studies. You don't need all of these things to try to help you understand. No, the song is over. It was glorious. Stand up and applaud. For some of you guys, you're like, hey, Hunter, I was saved at four because the guy scared me to death and I didn't want to go to hell. I was baptized. I was sprinkled at six months, but I'm going to be real with you, man. I do not know Jesus. It's time to stand up. I had a man stand with me. I'll never forget this. I had a man talk to me one time. He was, Hunter, this is a lot of what we experience in the Bible Belt, okay? Because we're all born Christians and you all had people scaring you into loving God and not understanding who Jesus was. And this man came to me, he goes, Hunter, I have never heard the gospel. I don't know Jesus. Like you talk about Jesus. I don't have peace. I know I'm not growing. Like, and I hear this and I've realized that like, man, I walked up the aisle and I prayed the prayer. I repeated what the man said. I got in the water. I took a picture. I was sprinkled. I did all of the things and I am lost. I go, well, brother, God save me and then stand up and do your applause, right? He goes, well, here's the problem. I've already been baptized. I said, hey, brother, stand up again. Stand up again. And for some of you, that's your story. The Jesus we talk about is not the Jesus you know. And you have never said thank you to the hands that lifted you out of the pit Jeremiah speaks of. So as we pray here and I have my praise team come up and you see these beautiful baptisms, man, I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to think about your own life. Is this what you were taught? Was baptism something you did or was baptism something you are? Was baptism about your faith in Christ being buried with him, rising with him? Or was this just something that Southern boys and girls do when they make the decision they don't want to go to hell? What was your baptism? The things that I've told you today, do they contradict what you've been told? Do you believe they're false when you read them from the page? It says he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Is that the Christ you know? Is that the applaud you've given? If not, I pray, you pray, God, crush all of my pride, humble me, and allow me to stand to say thank you for my salvation. There will be a day, before we pray, there will be a day where those that he calls him and he has adopted into his family and given new life to, we will be in glory and we will be in heaven and we will thank God we stood when we had the opportunity to stand. 92 years old, the oldest woman I've ever baptized, literally in the ICU, could not move. Her, her body was so brittle. When I came in there to move her, I was scared to death because I was <clears throat> trying to do my best. Because I was like, I'm going to break something or pull something. I'm going to hurt her. She could barely open her eyes. And she had one wish. She had followed Jesus. She knew who God was, but she never stood to be baptized. And she said, I am not going to die on this earth until I applaud the Savior of my life. 
10.30 at night, I'm in the ICU and I'm helping hold this woman to baptize her. She was making every groan and painful look in her face. And as I baptized her, I see tears come from her eyes of joy and happiness. While you can stand and breathe and clap your hands, stand for what Jesus has done in your life. I pray that this made sense to you. I pray that this blessed you. I pray that not only did you hear, but you can tell others why we do what we do. Go ahead and bow your heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, as we are encouraged and blessed by these baptisms today, I give you all of the glory, all of the credit. This is nothing that we have done. All of this is for what you have accomplished for what you have done through your son who came to die for sinners. And as Paul said, we understand that our only trajectory was down. We were all destined for hell. We were destined for nothing good and in our sin to death. But because of what was accomplished, we not only see you rise, but we rise. And Lord, I pray that that sinks into everyone's soul today. Man, this is, I was dirty, and now I come up blessed. Lord, be with us. Lord, encourage, show, convict those who don't know you. And those right now that are too fearful or too prideful to stand, crush their pride. Crush their pride. Bring them to the altar. Bring them to the water. Bring them to your ovation. In your blessed name, the church says, amen.